We see it right here behind me, right? This beautiful thing we put together. I didn't put it together, but somebody else put it together, right? This beautiful thing. Now, Lord McNeil put this together, yes. And then Scott and Alicia actually built it, right? And so we've got this and put it up here. So, so this beautiful thing kind of empowered, because the idea is this. God's expectation of himself is to empower his people to fulfill his purposes. The expectation of God is to empower his people to fulfill his purposes on the earth. And so when we talk then about all of these things that seemingly are so much and seemingly things that are so big and outside of our abilities, I would say, yes, they are. Because we, we are desperately in need of empowerment of God's spirit moving because he has purposes for us to fulfill and we can't do it, only he can, but he wants to empower us to do it. You know, all the time as being a pastor, a pastor, a man of the loincloth, as my buddy Todd likes to say, they, people ask me all the time, hey, Steve, do you, you think, we're, think we're at the end of the age? You think Jesus is, is coming soon, right? We think we've kind of gotten to the end. You think Jesus will come in our lifetime? And it's the same question that, Je- that Jesus' disciples asked him in Matthew 24, verse 3. They said, tell us, Jesus. When will these things be and what will the sign of your coming, excuse me, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answers by naming different signs of the times that will lead them to know when the end is coming. He says in verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes. I would add refugee crises in various places. All these are at the beginning of birth pains. If you read the news at all, you know that birth pains have been happening. They are happening and they will continue to happen, saying, representing that we are at the end of the age. In fact, every generation has believed and lived under the conviction, including the time right after Jesus, that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And some people say to me, Steve, do you think Jesus is going to return in this age? I'm like, I have no idea. I know that Peter and Paul and Mary and, and Joseph, whoever, Joseph, all of them, whatever, all of these people have believed that Jesus was returning. And so I will take Jesus' word and the story of the wise virgins and I will expect I will anticipate and I will live as if Jesus is returning tomorrow. And as in living as such, then I will interpret these pains as these signs that I need to be one who is empowered to fulfill the purposes of God because there are crises and there are those who are dying and who are living apart from God right now. And my call then from God is to be the answer to be Jesus to them. We need to be empowered because we have to live and expect and anticipate Jesus returning tomorrow. The country song got it right. Got to live like we're dying. Tim McGraw. Woo. All right. Got to live like we're dying because tomorrow he may return. 
And so we live with these pains. We know when Jesus talked about this, he goes on and, and he says in, in, in the following verses, verse 11 and 12, and it's going to kind of put them all together. He says, that day many people will fall away. They will stumble in their faith. They will betray and hate one another. Lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Sin will increase. I mean, we've been reading in the news, right? We see the refugee crisis. We see sex trafficking and, and slavery. I mean, slavery is at the height of what it's ever been in our generation. We see, we see millions of babies being aborted and killed every day. And then we find out that our government is supporting Planned Parenthood, literally it's selling babies and their body parts to the highest bidder. Sin at an all-time high. Our government decided they had the ability and the right to change what God had implemented and consecrated in marriage in Genesis. He restated, Jesus restated in Mark 10, and then that Peter reiterates in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And then we have nations that think that it's okay to build walls to keep out the oppressed and the marginalized and those who are just trying to survive in life, to protect themselves. Not realizing that God's sending them because they won't go as missionaries. Do you hear that? Jesus is sending us refugees and honestly immigrants because we won't go to them, so he sent them to us. We won't go as missionaries, we're going to send them right here where we are. That's what he's doing. And to, to, and to embrace something other than that, well, it's sin of astronomical proportions. So we know that there are birth pains that God is returning. We can't interpret that. We have no idea he's going to return, right? But we know that when that happens, sin increases. And when God is pushed from the center of a people, when God is pushed out to the margins, you know what he does? He goes, do you really think that you can do that? He responds, doesn't he? He moves in power. He disciplines because he loves and he moves in their lives. And do you know how he moves throughout history? Through people who are faithful. He moves through faithful people. One of the clear pictures of God's people throughout Scripture is that we are instruments he moves through to fulfill his purposes. Here are the Old Testament. You ever heard about prophets? Do you know what prophets were? Faithful people that God raised to point the finger at sin and say, if you don't turn, brother, you will burn. Didn't say it quite like that. Sometimes they did, right? Turn or burn, baby, turn or burn. They had turn or burn. He raises up intercessors. You ever heard of Daniel? You ever read chapter 1 through 9 of Daniel? What did, what did Daniel do? Every day he'd pray three times a day. You know what he'd do? He'd pray for Israel. You know why? Because they were in sin. He would intercede. He would not stop praying until Israel had said they had recognized their sin, turned away from it, and turned to God. They pray, he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Why? Because God raises up the faithful. Scripture says he looks, his eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth to see who he can strongly support. 
who were faithful and who said, I don't care about my life. I want to fulfill your purposes. I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm not only going to tell my story. I'm not going to focus on what I want to do, God. I want to be faithful to you. I'm not going to wait till I get to a better place to start serving you. I'm going to serve you today. One of the great things we have to remember as a people, a phrase we have to remember, is that because God is just, because God is just, he must judge sin. Because God is just, because he is holy, he can't just let sin continue to run rampant. When I was in my 20s, I started reading a guy named David Wilkerson. You ever heard David Wilkerson? Raise your hand if you've heard of David Wilkerson. I mean, David Wilkerson, boy, he, he began to put that out there. He, read, he wrote a couple of books, and he did these emails about every week, and he talked about his guys, I'm not a prophet in the sense of, like, hearing God's voice. He said, but I've read Scripture, and I know that when God's people get in sin, when nations get in sin, when nations turn from God, when nations begin to focus on themselves, when nations begin to, to create laws opposed to God, that God judges them. God judges sin, but he disciplines them because he loves them. And he does it through his people, his faithful ones. He comes and he moves. In these days where the birth pains of Jesus' return are clear, where sin is increasing, God is moving to discipline. He's judging the nations. And God, in this, he's empowering his people. He's empowering his people. Like, let's just be honest. Like, I'll never forget, I had a buddy. This is such a, I didn't do a story in the first service. It's not a great story. But I was playing basketball my sophomore year of college on an intramural basketball team. Had a guy named Neil on my team. He was like a starting guard for his high school team at Burkmore. He was tall. He had burned down on basketball, but I got him on my team. And he went out there. You know what? He was awful. Because there was no passion. And I remember, I mean, it was this intramural basketball. And I, me being this kind of rude, kind of arrogant kid at the time, I got in his face and said, you have this potential and you're wasting it, right? Like a complete idiot. He's like, I don't even like basketball. I only do this for you, you jerk, right? He turned around, took his basketball and went home. But I'm looking at the poor guy and I'm like, you're defined by so much potential. If you would just give your heart to this... You can win me a championship, right? That's what I'm looking for, Neil. Win me a championship, buddy. Took a ball and went home. Well, that's immature of you, right? I mean, seriously. And Jesus looks at his children and says, potential. I want you to win me a championship. He doesn't say that exactly, but you know what I'm getting at. He wants us to be empowered, to not live fearful. He wants us to be like C.T. Studd, who said this, this great missionary. He says, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Do you know how many people in the church think what God wants them to do is separate themselves from a sinful culture and move over here and create a little holy huddle of a bunch of Christian people and do their life only together? And Jesus is saying, no, I left that, my holy huddle, to go to a sin-riddled earth and to be myself, to be God to them, to bring life because they're going to hell. And so he set up camp on this line, says, as they are falling into hell, I'm going to grab them 
them by the power of my love and the power of my spirit. And I'm going to rescue them so they can spend eternity with Jesus. I want them with me. And so he left this place, his own holy huddle, and he went. He set up shop here and said, I am going to live my life engaging the sinful, giving the best of myself to them. But do you know what happens to most of us? We're so, we're so weak in our flesh that we're afraid to hang out with people who are in sin because we're just afraid it's going to taint us and we're going to fall into sin. You know who was never afraid of that? Jesus. You know who was not afraid of that? His disciples. And his disciples were men, human beings, just like you, empowered by God's Spirit. Jesus is looking for a bunch of mature Christians who he can empower, who are not afraid of sinners because they're so convicted in holiness and righteousness that they walk convicted in communion with other believers who are keeping them strong and loving them into being Jesus and sharing Christ and saving them to the power of the Holy Spirit and bringing healing to the areas of brokenness in their lives. He's looking for you to realize your potential and be empowered and not be afraid and to step out and be able to sacrifice everything that you had. Jesus looks the rich young ruler and says, one thing you lack, give up everything and come follow me. And the guy didn't because he loved his stuff. And he says, sorry, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Until we love Jesus... And nothing else, until Jesus only satisfies and nothing else, to that point, then we don't fully know him. Jesus has to be enough. We want to live in a yard of hell, run a rescue shop. We are to be the empowered. We are empowered for his purposes. There is no higher calling in life. There is no greater purpose for our existence. We are to be empowered for Jesus. We are to be empowered by Jesus for those who are far off from him, dying and in sin or refugees, whatever it may be. In upcoming weeks, listen, we're going to talk about power. We're going to define power, talk about his movement in our lives. We will look at our source of power. We'll look at its purpose in our lives and our responsibility in expressing it like Christ. But before we launch into this, you're like, yeah, yeah, it's getting empowered, get empowered. We have to do a little bit of what I call self-reflection. Self-reflection. We have to do a work of self-reflection and ask the Lord to put his fingers on the area of wrong thinking, of fear, of bad theology, in the area of God's power. Here are five questions I've created. You're going to create your own as you spend time with Jesus and talk to him about it. Number one, do you feel empowered? These are questions I want you to to self-reflect on. Do you feel empowered? When you woke up this morning, you're like, power, right? No, do you feel empowered? Like, do you go into situations that are too much for you and you experience the power of the Lord in the moment? So you have no fear when you step into it. Because I wonder if Jesus ever stepped in and really felt fear in a situation. Like he couldn't handle it. Number two, do you feel confident that you know what it really looks like to be empowered? Like I'll be honest with you. Charismatics, they're the worst when they talk about power. Because they already know everything about it. They have all the theology. 
They know what to do, and none of them are actually experiencing it, which means they don't have it right. Theology must always lead to experience. Right theology will always lead to right action. In seminary, Ugo Magallanes, my professor, looked and said, he said, every Christian has to look at everything in their life through the lens of their theology. Because if you don't know how God thinks about it and what he thinks about it, then you can't know what to think about it. We look at every situation, everything in life, through the lens of right theology. What does that mean, Steve? Looking at it in the way that God thinks about it. Do you know what God thinks? Do you, do you feel confident to know what God really thinks about it and looks, what it looks like to be empowered? Third piece, how hard do you think you have to work to be empowered? What do you think about that question? How hard do you have to work? Do you think you have to? Do you think you don't have to? Like, where do you land on this? So I know a lot of people who, who don't work, and a lot of people who do, and they both end up in some bad places. Number four, do you think your life, like, do you think, you don't have to feel it, but do you think that your life is empowered by, by God today? Do you think that your life is marked by God's power today? Do you? That you live confident in that? Number five. Take a picture of this you need to, because this is what you're going to be processing this week in your prayer time with the Lord. Do you think you can express the same power in your life that Jesus expressed in his? Do you think you can express the same power in your life that Jesus expressed in him, his life? Here's my question. Here's two things in the midst of all of this. This is going to be two, and I, this is a really important to hear these two questions. So if you have just if tuned me out, tune back in real quick. Two questions we're going to ask every week. We're going to ask in small group, what is God speaking to you? And how do you respond? Every week we're going to ask you, what is God speaking to you in this? And then whenever God speaks, there's usually a response. So then how do you respond? What is God speaking and how do you respond? And all of these questions, you're going to have these and then hopefully... It's going to you know, have a bunch of other questions and issues crop up. And I, like, all of a sudden, you're going to like, I have fear regarding God's power. Like, listen, have you ever talked to who have, like, tentatively kind of gone to the God's power thing, specifically in prayer, and God doesn't move like they expect him to? And so they get disillusioned and say, I just can't do that. And they try to live over here just doing their own kind of Christian life, never really engaging God's power because it kind of cost them too much mentally, physically, maybe even emotionally because it was too afraid to go that route anymore. Like, are you, have you had that conversation with Jesus about those fears? Do you think maybe he wants to put his finger on it so he can give you freedom, so he can then empower you, so you can bring freedom to those who don't have it? Like, we have to dive into these. We have to begin with self-reflection. You can, listen, that's the problem with Bible studies. You just go through a book, and you're like, oh, do my homework, do my homework, do my homework. You get to the end of your homework, what have you done? A bunch of homework. But you've ever actually done self-reflection to stop and let God speak into your fears, into your anxieties, and to actually name the walls that you still have up in your life. I mean, I've got people come to our church who got burned at other churches, and all they, and every time I talk about their other church, they just break that in tears. Because there's something that happened in that that God wants to release them from, to bring freedom now, to connect with another body, be fully invested, but not be fearful of that. So they can be empowered. In reflecting, I want you to read this week. I got a lot of homework for you this week. 
It's really just being with, I'm actually just asking you to be with Jesus is really all I'm asking you to do. So, and I'm asking you to read the Bible. I'm asking you to pray. I hope that's okay with you, right? So in reflecting this week, I want you to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I just ask you to read four verses. In fact, I'm going to read them to you right now. And this even gets you started. You can read the whole book of 2 Peter. It's super short. Take you like 10 minutes, okay? If you want to. It would be crazy and read the whole thing. So here it is. Let's read it together. I want you to see these words. I want you to allow these words to sink in. I want you to see if you believe them. I want you to see if Peter's a crazy talker. Is this crazy talk or is it real? 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a long intro to say, hey, guys, you're believers just like us, and you receive the same salvation that we've received. So we're equals, right? We're equals in this. Hey, that's what he's saying right here, okay? Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, crazy talk here. His divine power, speaking about Jesus, not Peter, his divine power has granted or given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which, by which his glory and excellence has opened the door for us to be granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you become partakers of the divine nature like Jesus, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Four, three things I want you to consider this week. Number one, grace and peace are multiplied, verse two, to us through our knowledge of Jesus. Grace is this, un, simplistically speaking, grace is this unearned blessing and the receiving of power to the victorious life from Jesus. And peace is always and only a fruit of God's spirit. You can't create it. He can only give it. It's only a fruit when he's present with you and it only comes. And Jesus says it's actually multiplied to you as you get to know Jesus. You see that grace and peace multiply to you through our knowledge of Jesus. Grace, his unmerited favor, right? His undeserved blessing that he pours out that expresses itself in power to us in our lives is multiplied through us knowing Jesus. Second thing, this is crazy talk. I'm telling you, Jesus's divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Consider it this week. When Peter says here to life, He's not talking about everything you need to succeed in your job necessarily, although it is that too. But he's saying your spiritual life, your life in Christ, your empowered, power-filled life to make a purpose for God's kingdom. Everything that you need already is with you. You already have it. You already have everything that you need to live depends on life. And you already have everything you need to be godly. How many of us are so defined by sin that this seems like a pipe dream? Oh, my gosh. I'm, no, no, I think about my sin. I'm, I'm a sinner. 
I'm a sinner. No. Jesus says, you were a sinner. I saved you from your sin. You still have a sin nature to be aware of that will try to crop up and creep up all the time. But it is not who you are. You are now a child of mine brought into my family. I have put my ring saying you belong to me, my coat on you, and you are now part of my family. You are my child and you are godly. You can be godly because of through the knowledge of Jesus. That's number three. Jesus' divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of Jesus. Do we live defined by our sins still, or do we live defined by our salvation in Christ? Do we live defined by the power of sin or the power of the Holy Spirit in us? Power, the knowledge of Jesus in this, is said 12 times in 2 Peter. It's a short book, short book, like three pages, depending on what Bible you have. The knowledge of Jesus is a central theme of the whole epistle of Peter. Through our knowledge of Jesus, through knowing him, giving ourselves to knowing him, spending time with him, we attain everything pertaining to life and godliness. Friends, we are empowered. God's looking for people to empower. He's looking for us to embrace this. He's looking for us to die to bad theology. He's ready for right theology to be birthed inside of us that then matches an experience of seeing the purposes of God fulfilled in you and then through us as the people of God. He wants to see the church actually be talked about on CNN of all places because we do something powerful for God for refugees. That's what he wants. He wants people to, to, to have to talk about us because we actually do something. We actually make a difference. They go, we don't know what it is about those Christians, but they are doing something and it's working. We want to make the world talk about Jesus through us. We want to be empowered and to see the people of God empowered so that those who need him can receive him, whether it's to receive salvation, whether it's to receive healing, whether it's simply to receive a home and some food and some clothes on their back, whatever it may be. We want to be the empowered. If we are not doing that, then we are not living life. There's only one life that Jesus has for us. It's the empowered life. Let's pray.